Well, friends, when we are separated from family, when we're separated from loved ones, we just want to know how they're doing, you know? So we pick up our phone. We all have these long-distant plans now, and we can keep in touch with loved ones. And I know when, uh, you know, Jessica goes off to New York, the mom and Jessica will have a certain time that they connect on a weekly basis just to keep in touch. Some of you will be phoning your children who are out of town or maybe have a sibling, uh, maybe a mom and dad who live out of town. You'll be phoning them inevitably because we always want to stay in touch with those who we really love. And you know, that was no different than the Apostle Paul. You know, he, he was a church planter and him and his team, you know, they left Thessalonica under uh, dangerous circumstances, and they ultimately ended up in Athens, and they just had to know how this church was doing, whether they were standing firm in their faith. And friends, that's exactly what we're going to look at here this morning in the text before us. They had a passionate need to know how their friends, how their fellow Christians in this little church was doing. So yes, keep your Bibles open this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you do not own a Bible, ask us. We'll get you one. We encourage you to bring your Bible Sunday morning. And this morning, friends, if you don't have a Bible in front of you, go to your bulletin. You'll see a handout in there with the text printed on it in full. Now let me just set today's passage in its geographical context. As you well know, we're, we're going through Paul's second, our first letter to the church in Thessalonica. And actually, Paul went there on his second missionary journey, along with his fellow teammates, Silas and Timothy. Acts chapter 17 tells the story of how they went there, and they were having some success, sharing the good news in the synagogue and in with some other Greeks living in the area. But eventually, some people got a little jealous of their ministry, started a riot, and basically chased them out of town. They had to leave under darkness. It was a very dangerous situation for them. So they went a little south. They went down to Berea. And the Bible tells us that in Berea, the people were a little more noble than they were in Thessalonica, and they really listened to Paul intently, and many people came to faith. But then eventually, some people wandered down from Thessalonica, started a little concern in the city, and Paul was forced to leave again. Well, eventually, the three missionaries end up in Athens. It was a little safer for them in Athens. There were no riots. Maybe it was a little more liberal city where you could have a few extra ideas going on and not be run out of town. But it was from Athens that Paul sent one of their team members, Timothy, back to Thessalonica just to find out how they were doing. Follow as I read. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul did, again and again. But Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and to encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you, 
and that our labors might have been in vain. Let me share with you a two-minute explanation of this passage. Paul did not like being separated from fellow Christians any more, hey, any more than Vern Lemke liked being separated from you. Vern Lemke was the founding pastor of this church, basically had a heart attack on the job, had a slowdown, goes to Kelowna, and then he would come back to visit. And when Vern came back to visit, I can remember him standing here one Sunday morning singing, it was like he wasn't touching the ground. He just loved this little church called Summit. Friends, the separation made Paul feel like an orphan. That's a pretty strong word to use. That you're separated from someone. Oh, you feel like an orphan because you're no longer with them. Although it was Paul's sincere desire to see them face to face, he said he tr repeatedly tried to see him, but Satan had repeatedly blocked him. This obviously distressed Paul because this little church was his what? Glory and joy. In other words, he took great pride in this little church that he had planted. Such great joy in this little church he had planted. So when Paul couldn't stand it any longer, he sent Timothy back to find out how they were doing, and yes, to strengthen and encourage them in their faith. Paul knew that they were facing persecution, and Pastor Dave talked about this in the open introduction to this series, how these people were probably now being ostracized from other members of the community because they were no longer going up to the, the temples to worship idols. They were no longer worshiping the enemy. So they were putting, being pushed to the fringes of their society. The church was under intense pressure. How were they going to handle it? That was Paul's concern. Further, Paul was afraid that Satan, now called the tempter, had used persecution to rob them of their faith. End of my two-minute explanation. When I spoke from this passage almost 14 years ago, October 1st, 2001, I prepared a very extensive outline entitled, We Have an Enemy at the Gate, But He Can Be Resisted. My focus that Sunday morning was on the fact that we live life and we do ministry in the context of spiritual warfare as Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, friends, we do life, we do ministry in the context of spiritual warfare. And that's very true for the passage before us this morning. As we saw in 2.18, Paul said, Satan kept us from coming back to visit you. He said, I tried over and over again to come, but... Satan blocked the way. Now, how Satan blocked the way, friends, I haven't got a clue. The text doesn't tell us. But Paul had the discernment to know that he was being kept from going back to care for this church because we have an enemy out there. Furthermore, friends, in 3.5, Paul also feared that this, the tempter, also called Satan, somehow used persecution or social, being socially ostracized as a means of destroying their newfound faith. Now, I do not have the time this morning to go through this whole outline, but let me just quickly summarize it. It makes it very clear, friends, that we do have an enemy called by many names, and he seeks to lead this world astray by any means he can. And in fact, I would really encourage you to pick up C.S. Lewis's book, 
screw tape letters. All the creative ways that he sees the enemy discouraging Christians, trying to rob them of their faith today. It's a great little read. But finally, let me just say this. And I think this is the most important thing of all. We have an enemy, but he can be resisted through prayer, through the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. It's part of the spiritual armor that we can, in fact, put on. Through help of the body of Christ, through faith, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the enemy can always be resisted. Amen? Amen. 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 Hey, if you've never taken the time to do a study on our ultimate enemy, I'd encourage you to work through this worksheet on your own. I think it's something that every believer should understand that we do life in the context of spiritual warfare. And I guess that's why I've so encouraged people to go see the war room. Because one of the great battlegrounds of the enemy is, in fact, marriage. Hey, if you've been married for 35 years, as I have, and some of you more, hey, we had a couple who celebrated their 70th here at Summit Drive. You'll understand there's some ups and downs along the way. And I believe the enemy loves to exploit any of those things that happen along the way to break us apart. That's what the enemy would do. So I encourage you to do that study. But now back to the passage before us here this morning. If you were following my reading this morning on the handout, you will have noticed that I highlighted quite a few phrases in this passage that speak of emotion, that speak of attachment. Let me just quickly read these once again, these phrases. When we were orphaned by being separated from you. Well, that's a strong emotional statement. Out of our intense longing for you, That's an intense emotional statement. We wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. That's emotion. You are our glory and joy. That's an emotional statement. So when we could stand it no longer, and of course he says that twice, he finally sent Timothy up to find out how they were doing. You know, as I reflected on these emotional phrases, it occurred to me that the Apostle Paul wasn't just this great intellect, this great teacher, this great master of the Old Testament law. He was a person who got deeply attached to people. Yes, he felt orphaned by being separated from them. He had this intense longing to see them again. He tried over and over again to see them again. He, He saw them as such a great source of joy. He took pride in them, and he couldn't stand not knowing how they were doing. Without a doubt, Paul, was deeply connected, deeply attached to this little church, and he probably had only been there for, what, maybe four, five, six, seven weeks? So I asked the question this morning, why was Paul so deeply attached to this little church? I mean, he planted many churches, but he was so deeply attached to this particular church. And friends, I think the answer to this question is really important for all of us here this morning. I really do. Because I believe it's God's will that we are all lovingly attached to some people. It's so important for people to be lovingly attached to others. In fact, in the words of Paul Turney, he said this. Paul Turney is this old Swiss uh, medical doctor who uh, wrote many books and he was a counselor. He said this. No one can fully develop in this world without being vitally connected to others. And I think that is so true. So once again, why was Paul so incredibly attached to this group of people. And you know, the simple, the simple but profound answer is this, is that he loved them. One act at a time, one day at a time. See, friends, it's through loving people that we get attached to them. You know, I quickly read through 1 Thessalonians last week and noted all the ways that Paul had loved them. 
and I don't have a complete list here, but let me just highlight how Paul had actually loved this group of people. First of all, he risked his life to tell them the gospel. Now, if that ain't love, nothing is. And in fact, really, that's the story of Paul's life. You go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you see this unbelievable list of things that he put up with so simply so he could tell other people the good news. Secondly, he loved them like a nursing mother. And we know how moms love their children. Thirdly, he shared his life with them. Paul was not just a teacher-preacher. And then he removed himself from it. It says he actually did life with them. He shared his life with these people. He worked night and day as to not be a burden to them a tradesman by day, and a teacher by night. I'm sure he put in long, long days in his nurturing of this new group of believers. He was like a father to them. The text tells us that he urged them, comforted them, and encouraged them to stay true to their calling. Wow. He spoke highly of them. He sent people back to encourage them. He prayed for their spiritual growth. It's no wonder Paul was so attached to them emotionally because he had loved them in sacrificial ways. Friends, I do not think it's any different for you and I here this morning. We are attached, we are lovingly attached to everyone or anything that we have loved. And there's a danger in this. If you love things, you can become really attached to them. We've got to make sure that we're loving people. Friends, without love, there is no attachment. But with love, genuine love, there is great attachment and the bonding of souls. There is no shortcuts to healthy relationships. They're built one act at a time. And I, I think that's why praying for people, sincerely praying for people, bonds you to them. You know, if you go to your new directory, and I'm so glad Lana did a large print edition, you don't have to have your glasses to read it. But there's 881 people in that directory, I'm told. I so encourage you, before this year is out, take time to pray for every one of them. Take time to pray for them. You'll be bonded to them. Hey, another thing, you know, just showing up to someone's house once in a while <laughs> with baking in hand. I know some of you do that. I've been a recipient of it. In fact, not long ago, I was the recipient of it. It was this beautiful plum pudding, or plum, what do you call it, Lori? Anyways, I don't know the official name. But you know what? Crumble? Plum, yeah. Okay, Jordan, you got one too, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the good news, Jordan, for me is my wife is gluten-free, so I eat the whole thing. <laughs> 24 hours, it was gone. tell you what, we're a little bonded, more bonded to those people who showed us that love. You know, sending cards of encouragement, using one's talents and gifts to strengthen the faith of others. Hey, those of you in our church who uh, lead Bible studies, and there's at least 20 of you, you spend three, four, five hours preparing, wow, don't stop doing that. What a wonderful way to love the church. Cooking meals for those in need. And, of course, Dave talked about this great event yesterday where the church was out loving a family in, in need. Friends, these are all ways we can love people. And when we do, we find ourselves increasingly attached to them. That's what loving actions will do for us. Oh, yes, there are times 
when we get hurt. I can think on three specific occasions when I've sat down with a young lady who's been rejected by a young man. Oh, does that ever hurt them? They've given their heart to them. They wanted to marry them. And then something goes wrong, and they're rejected. Boy, sometimes it takes a little time to heal. And also, I bet some of you have potentially tried to love someone and have been misunderstood. And you say, oh, what's gone wrong here? I was just trying to care. Hmm. Love is vulnerable. We make ourselves vulnerable. Usually it goes really well, and it's really well received, but there are some dangers to love. Apostle Paul, I'm sure he knew what it was like to have a broken heart. I'm sure he had his heart broken. And without a doubt, read the New Testament, he was misunderstood. But he didn't stop loving. He kept loving people. And that's why he probably had so many deep, enriching relationships. If you just, just read through the New Testament, see all these lists, especially in the book of Romans, all these people he knew. Well, why did he know so many? He loved so many people. And he kept praying for these people. Their names were on his heart. You know, friends, when it comes to loving people, I, I say this, this is, this is a really wise words from C.S. Lewis. Do not worry if you feel like loving them. Just do it. Just do it. In the words of C.S. Lewis, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. It's so much simpler. For he says this, love towards God or other people is really an affair of the will. It's an affair of the will. And you know what, friends? When we do, it moves our heart. It enlarges our heart and allows feelings to come in of actually genuine concern for them as well. Friends, by the grace of God, let's keep saying, I will make love my aim. Paul certainly did. He certainly chose love as a way of life. And he was so deeply attached to people. And likewise, the people he loved were also attached to him. And we read that in the very next verse that we're going to look at next week, but where we read this. He, Timothy, has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us. This is the Thessalonians. They also have deep memories, pleasant memories of Paul, and that you long to see us. They also long to see him. There was obviously mutual attachment going on here. You know, New Testament scholar Michael Holmes, you know, we, we say that once in a while, phrases like, New Testament scholars said this. Well, friends, you know what? They really are. Some of these guys have taken 20 years to write their commentary on a particular book of the Bible. And we have this wonderful series, the New Testament application series that we use. And, and these scholars are not only sharing 20 years of research with us, but they're also sharing their lives. They're sharing with us how they've tried to apply this in their own hearts. And, you know, you can pick this book up for 25 bucks, and it's worth like 1000 it's just so wonderful. But anyways, this is what Michael Holmes says about this book, uh, says about 1 Thessalonians. This book is all about Paul's continuing love and commitment towards the church in Thessalonica. And we saw that last week, and it's true of this passage here this morning. Paul cared for the church. He loved for the church. And he was so attached to them as a result. You know, on another occasion, and in the context of loving a particular church in Corinth, Paul said this, and I think it's just so awesome. He says, would you follow my example in loving the church as I follow the example of Christ? 
Is that not the best advice we could ever receive? Yes, follow the example of Paul, who loved people in such sacrificial ways. Yes, follow the example of a person who is following the example of the one who is willing to give his life for us. I cannot think of a better twosome to follow. Oh, and by the way, do you think there's a connection between Christ's sacrificial love for us and the deep attachment he has to us today? I really do. I think there's a positive connection between the two. We are his prized possession. He's working in our hearts even as we sit here this morning. He is deeply attached to us, and he continues to love us as well. To love is to become lovingly attached to people. You know, friends, as I wrestled with this passage this week, and believe me, I do, I wrestle because it's one thing to study, it's another thing to put it all together in a way that is helpful. <laughs> but the bottom line for me, I was just really challenged to, uh, to follow Paul in loving the church. You know, you may have heard someone say, and usually they say it, well, sometimes seriously, but often jokingly, I don't give a rip. <laughs> Ever heard someone say that? And sometimes they're just kidding. But what, what they're trying to say is, I don't really care. I'm not concerned. But you know, in sharp contrast, when I read First Thessalonians, how Paul loved the church, I hear someone saying in a very passionate way, I do give a rip. I care deeply for the bride of Christ. Friends, let's, let's, let's follow Paul's example of caring and loving for his church. Friends, our only motivation needs to be this. We need a motivated by God's love as shown to us in Christ. That's our motivation. It's got to be deep and within your heart. You can't just do it because, you know, other people are doing it. You need to be motivated by the cross. Yes, following Paul's example is the right thing for me to do and it's the right thing for you to do. Would you just take a moment to just look around you this morning? Just take a, a moment to look at those seated near you or across the sanctuary. They usually sit in the same places, so you know where they are. <laughs> I, I do this, friends, because these are the people that you need to love. They're among the people that you need to love. So let's pray for one another. Pray for the whole directory this year. And you will find yourself more positively connected to this community. Encourage people any way you can. Let's open up our, our social circles and our small groups. If every small group just invited another group in, another couple, another single person in, everyone would be cared for. Friends, let's share our lives with one another. Just as Paul said, I not only shared the gospel with you, but I shared my life as well. We've been called to follow the example of Paul who follows the example of Christ. And oh, by the way, when we do, yes, we will increasingly find ourselves connected to those we love. That's what love does. Would you bow in prayer with me? May the Lord make your love increase for one another and for everyone else. Yes, may the Lord make your love increase for one another and for everyone else, in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Harry.